Colossians chapter 3. Now, a lot of people have an understanding that Jesus Christ certainly can change lives. You've heard that, probably believe that. He provides forgiveness of sins. He seals you eternally. By trusting in him, you actually can know for certain that you're going to heaven. Um, We know that God has given us his word, gives us some solid direction, guidance for subjects like morals, ethics, uh, certain behavior, certainly relationships like marriage, uh, what we do with our children, how we function as grandparents. But one big question that arises in the minds of a lot of believers is this. Does our relationship with Christ really have any bearing on our work life? I mean, yes, uh, things that go on on Sunday, man, it's, it's all about God, and I'm sure God is very much invested in our time of worship here, but a lot of folks feel like there are two spheres. There's kind of what you do for God, your spiritual life kind of sphere, and then you got this other sphere called your work life, and the two hardly ever intersect. And there's a lot of Christians that actually feel like, you know, what I'm doing is kind of like, it's kind of second best. In fact, I may even be kind of second class, because if I was really sold out for Christ, well, I would be a Christian worker. I'd be a, I'd be a missionary or a pastor. I'd be joining some church staff, because after all, if I really want to be a first rate, really all sold out, highly committed, making the most of my life, I'd have to find a vocation that would actually tie me in to either being a missionary or a church or some sort of pastor. And a lot of folks feel that way. A lot of folks even think that, you know, kind of what I do Monday through Saturday is all going to burn. And the real only relevant things in my life are actually when I'm focused on Jesus or something tied with a mission organization or church. I'll tell you, if you cannot answer the question, does Jesus Christ transform your work life? You're going to have a pretty difficult time as you make your journey on this planet. Because 40 to 50 percent of your life is spent working. And if you don't know how Christ interfaces and interacts and is involved in your work, you're going to really miss out on the fullness of life that Christ intended. Now, God does not want you to be living in the dark. Hence, he has given us his word. And he has a direct tie from the worship that takes place on Monday, at Sunday, to what takes place on Monday. If you want to see an example of that, you turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, where you're going to see that gospel faith is completely connected to how you go about your work. So like if Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Since you've been united and raised up with Christ, the resurrected one, he talks about seek the things above. And then he goes on all the way through chapter 3, talking about what that looks like in all your relationships, in your behavior, your words, your actions, what you do with his word. And then verse 18, your relationship with Christ has direct bearing if you're married for wives. Verse 18, verse 19, husbands, if you're a child, verse 20, tells you exactly. This is how God wants to live the life of Christ in you. If you're a parent, verse 21, And oftentimes it stops right there. We think that that's the extent. Just keep reading. Because your relationship with Christ has direct bearing on your work life. In fact, that's what he starts talking about, beginning in verse 22 all the way through 4.1. That God intends to redeem the worker and the workplace. 
He's instilling dignity, worth, justice, his values, and he's doing so through his people. And so there is to be this seamless integration from your relationship with Christ to actually how you function in your vocation. In fact, look at it. Look at verse 23. Whatever you do, whatever you do, what is your vocation? Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Your entire orientation changes because of your relationship with Christ. And what you do, you're not doing it merely to serve an employer, though you are doing that. You are actually doing your work to serve the Lord himself, God Almighty. And he says, verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. You see, our relationship with Christ changes everything. And you and I need to answer, how does our relationship with Christ transform the way we work? Well, let me just tell you, first of all, it all begins with our orientation. Our relationship with Christ changes our orientation toward work. And last week, last Sunday, we spent the entire time developing a theology of work. Most people have never considered what does God really say about work. And so last week we actually walked through that. And I'll just give you a quick review of what that was. First of all, you need to know that people were made for work. If you think like work is the result of the curse, man sinned, God said, I'm going to punish you and I'm created work and you're going to live life by the sweat of your brow now. Actually, God created work long before the fall. In fact, people were, are made for work. By divine design, we're made for work. Now, what has happened, God has given a what is called the cultural mandate, where we are to subdue the earth. We're to fill the earth. We're to subdue it. And he legitimizes all types of work. But you know what happened. Adam and Eve rebelled, they sinned, they went contrary to God's word, and sin has greatly distorted work. Work isn't what it should be. In fact, sometimes it feels absolutely futile. Now work comes through sweat, agonizing muscles like Matt is talking about, you know, and things like that. It's painful, it's hard, it's frustrating at times. Why? Because sin has now entered in, and yet God has not removed the cultural mandate. And so sin has greatly distorted work. Now, this would always continue except for the redemption that it comes about through Jesus Christ. So what we see is when Christ comes onto the scene, do you know that God saw fit to bring and enter into humanity his son? And do you know what his occupation was? Anyone remember? He's a carpenter. In fact, in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, they actually call him this. You're the carpenter. He was a contractor. Jesus set up contracts. He built. He he likely had people that worked for him. He received payment. Sometimes he didn't receive payment for work. He fulfilled all righteousness in the context of a career, of a vocation of work. And Jesus not only fulfilled all righteousness through his work, even the father said at the very beginning of of his public ministry, where he starts functioning more like an itinerant rabbi, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He has done all things right. He dealt with difficult people, difficult circumstances, hardship, problems, and yet he fulfilled the law perfectly. He fulfilled all righteousness in his work. And he continued to do so in his public ministry. And then as the perfect 
Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, he goes to the cross and he pays the penalty for our sins. But you need to know that for about 30 years of his life, certainly from the age of 12, he was a contractor. He was a construction guy. He was a builder, worked with tools, masonry work, and stone, and wood. And Jesus fulfills all righteousness in his work. And because we're united with Christ, that completely changes the believer's perspective and orientation toward work. Now Christians glorify God and serve Christ through their work. God always intended that our work was to be an aspect of our worshiping him. Those of us who are united with Christ, we serve Christ through our vocations. Now, that's not the only way, but let me tell you, that is the primary way you and I are serving Christ. It is through the vocation in which he intended. And then we looked at, finally, you know, the Bible begins with work. Do you know how the very, it ends? The very last chapter, Revelation chapter 22, verses 3 and 4, in the new heavens and the new earth, and the consummation of all things, Guess what you find? The Lord's bondservants are serving him. We're going to be working. Don't think you're going to be bored in heaven. We're going to be experiencing the joyous delight of serving the King of kings and the Lord of glory. And that gets started in this life. And so you see from, from creation to the fall to consummation with Christ to, excuse me, uh, to the redemption through Christ to consummation, all of this is God's intention for work. So, You know how it starts changing for you and I? Our relationship with Christ changes our orientation toward work. We see our work differently. We see it from God's perspective. Now, let me tell you another way our relationship with Christ uh, develops us. And that is, he develops our direction going into work. If work is so important to God, we ought to give a lot of attention as to how and what we're to be doing, right? And so for Christians, we want to discern, God, how have you wired me? What are the gifts that you've given me? How do you want me to worship you through my work? You don't just like, well, there's a job. I think I'll just take it. We actually want to try to figure out what exactly has God wired you to do? And so let me just give you some questions to ask to help you discern your vocational calling. So one question you could ask is, what are the gifts and abilities that you've been given? What has God given you in terms of abilities, whether you've got lots of intelligence, you're highly logical, you're really skilled with your hands, you're strong, you're dexterous, you, um, got great, you're great at building things, perhaps you have excellent communication skills, maybe you're a visionary, you've got ideas. You want to start figuring out how has God wired you? What has he given you from birth that's been nurtured through your family and experiences? You want to have some understanding of your personality, okay? So, Are you an extrovert? Did God wire you where you like to be around people and you like to talk? Or are you an introvert? Like, you know, I really do really well in a cubicle and no one ever talked to me. It's really good for you to figure that out. And if you don't know, let me just, this is a real easy way to figure that out. Do people, being around people, do they excite you and give you more energy or do they drain you? And you know the answer to that question. And that will help you understand if you're an extrovert or an introvert. Or... You know, it might even be a hybrid, you know, well, I do. People energize me, but then I do need some alone time. I find myself more in that category. So you figure out then what sort of spiritual gifts have God has given you. You see, when you come to Christ, his Holy Spirit enters into our life. He gifts you uniquely for you to serve him. 
And oftentimes that's going to be uniquely gifted to serve him in the vocation in which God has placed you. So, for instance, you find that if you've got gifts of teaching or administration or leadership or mercy, they dovetail with your vocational calling. So I, I find this like you find a lot of nurses and oftentimes some doctors, but especially nurses, they have the gift of mercy and they really care and they want to see you well. Those are spiritual gifts and they utilize that within the calling in which they've been given as a, as a nurse. Then you find some that have the gift of teaching. You find a lot of these people, they go into the academy and they're teaching in their schools. They enter into the teaching profession. profession. Or then you find some folks and they've got been given for the gift of leadership or administration. And when you find these kind of gifts, these are like leadership abilities, excellent problem-solving skills. They have undaunted courage. They seem to have a remarkable resilience in difficult times. They are spiritually gifted, and oftentimes you find people like this, Christians, and they enter into the world of business, commerce, industry. Those gifts, those skills are required for those positions. And so what you want to do is you want to figure out, how's God wired you? What do you enjoy? What, what classes do you seem to do well at? What do people affirm in you? Like when you're doing something, people go like, man, that was great. I don't know how you do it, but this was really cool to see you involved. Man, your skills really came to life in this situation or in classes. You use this to help to discern what exactly am I called to do? What are the gifts and abilities God has given? Let me give you another question. What are the desires for the future that you have as you pray? What are the God-given desires that he's placed in your heart? And as you pray and say, Lord, I seek your will. And what is it that you want me to do? And if you find that God gives you a a certain enthusiasm for a particular vocation or an excitement or a desire to serve in that capacity, that very well may be the vocation you need to be moving into. The kind of work we like to do is a great indicator for the kind of work we were created to do. Let me give you another question. What experience in education have you received? Through life's experiences, what is is your orientation? What have you been shaped for? And what kind of... uh, education have you received because oftentimes god provides an education that is meant to equip you for future work let me give you another question what circumstances are you in like for instance what economic circumstances are jobs in abundance or there are not a lot of jobs out there right now and you look because that's good god is going to use those kind of determiners to kind of guide and direct you for instance also your financial situation you got a ton of money, then if you have no debt and you've got financial resources, you have a lot of freedom to explore all sorts of different vocations. On the other hand, if you're strapped with debt, medical bills, school loans, consumer debt, you're under the pile, you may find that your options are limited, but you still you need to work. Now, don't see this like, whoa, this is a huge detour from what God intended for my life. Actually, this is all part of God's providential plan. He's trying to teach you things. He's shaping and molding you through those. Let me give you another question to ask. What doors are being opened by God? What doors does he seem to be open? And that means that sometimes you have to be actually looking at what sort of opportunities is God making available to me? And then another one is what advice are we receiving from wise counselors? Here is another way where mentoring plays a huge role in your life. What do wise people in these various fields and mentors who know you well say and tell you about how they see you fitting in and and what kind of career you would uh, be good at. Let me tell you, you want to make sure 
you are involving others. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. The foolish, he just, man, I think it, I, I'm going to do it, and they never consult. But think about it. If you've got a health issue, do you just like, oh, I think I'll just self-medicate myself here, and I, I think I can fix this broken bone. It doesn't look that hard on TV, right? No, you go see a doctor. You've got financial issues? You want to be a good steward of your money? What do you go do? You go talk to a financial planner. They're going to help you make the most of your resources. You got some legal issues? Seriously? You think you're going to just represent yourself? You're going to take that all on? I don't think so. What do you go do? You go talk to your lawyer friends. Why? Because they're skilled and gifted in that. You got relational issues? You talk to a counselor or a pastor. Well, why is it when it comes to the thing work, where you're going to spend 40 to 50% of your time, we'd never consult anybody? We do a terrible job of preparing our young people. We're, we need to rethink this. You need to engage people that are in the know. Because what you want to do is because we understand the importance of work to God and that we're designed to work, you and I are looking for our vocational sweet spot. Any tennis players among us? I, I know that we've got at least one guy on a tennis team, and we've got some former champions, I know, in here, so you don't have to stand up and wave your hands. I know who you are. You already told me. Okay, when you play tennis, when you play tennis, you want to live in the what? With that racket. Yes, there we go. Do you hear it? Sweet spot. You see, on your racket, kind of right there in the center, is the sweet spot. This allows, when that ball hits it, that allows for maximum recoil, and it's, it's the maximum power. When that ball hits it, boy, it goes sailing. And that may explain a lot of things, because if you're hitting the ball kind of at the end of your racket or with a wooden metal part there, that's why it's not going so well. What you want to do is you want to hit it in the sweet spot, because when you hit it there, man, that ball just goes sailing. You and I want to be living in the sweet spot to the degree that we're able to do that. We want to be figuring out where our creativity is unleashed, where our passions are engaged, where we're making the greatest contribution to a, a business or a company or to our family. You want to find out, Lord, how is it that you have gifted me? What am I wired? How do you want me to make the most of the work that you've given me? Now, your economic engine, how you make your money, may or may not be tied to your vocational sweet spot. But the degree that you're able to make it tie, you want to do. I mean, if you're in an extremely blessed situation, if you love what you do and you're able to make some sort of living from it. But just because you're in a job, perhaps, that is not necessarily your sweet spot, that doesn't mean that you can't exercise and utilize the gifts that God has given you in other areas. There's more to life than your job. But what you want to do is you want to try to figure out where that is. There's a guy by the name of Pastor Tom Nelson. He pastors a church in Leewood, Kansas. He's done some excellent writing on a biblical perspective of work. And he writes about this uh, stay-at-home mom in his congregation that began to grasp the transformation that comes from knowing God's word and putting it into play in your situation. And she wrote him an email, and he actually records this, and I want to read what she wrote. She wrote, A stay-at-home mom doesn't get a lot of accolades or affirmation. Is there any, is that true? Oh, man. Does this lady know what she's talking about or what? Doesn't get a lot of accolades or affirmation. No paycheck. No glowing review from their boss. And she writes, I've been working through these thoughts and feelings, and several weeks ago I decided I wasn't going to spend any more time feeling like a victim. She goes on to write, I have had a new outlook on life over these past few weeks. 
and I feel so much better. I have never thought of being a mother as an act of worship. I can look at it in a whole new way now. I can see the contributions I make to my household as what I was uniquely created to do for this season of life. Friends, not only does our orientation toward work change because of our relationship with Christ, our direction in our work as we're going into it, it changes. Let me tell you something else that our relationship with Christ changes. It changes us because we now see our sanctification happening in a big way through our work. That word sanctification is just a fancy theological word for growing and being set apart to Christ, growing in holiness. You know, your job is going to provide you money, income. You get to pay bills, provide for your family if you're, if you're married and you've got some kids. It provides resources for you to, to give, to give to the furthering of God's kingdom, to share. And all, of the, all those things are great. And most often, people just think like, well, I have a job, I make some money, and I can do these things. But let me tell you, God is seeking to accomplish much more than just that in your vocation. God seeks to bring about transformation through your job. He wants to use your work as one of the most significant means of shaping you and making you like Christ. For instance, John Stott He wrote in his book, The Radical Disciple, he said, he raises really the most important question. What is God's purpose for his people? And then he just gets right to the heart of the matter. And he says this, it is this. God wants his people to become like Christ. For Christ likeness is the will of God for the people of God. And so what you want to do is you want to consider your workplace challenges, not as obstacles for life, but rather opportunities to grow in greater Christ-likeness. Now, right now, you're like, whoa, wait a second. For many of you, that will be a huge shift. Because a lot of folks, they actually resent their job, and they're like, man, if I didn't have this job, I'd be a far better Christian, right? You know? I just, if I could just get rid of this. Actually, God has you where he wants you because he's shaping you, he's changing you, he's transforming you. And I want to just say something. You, as a believer, you need to take your job seriously. Chuck Swindoll recently has done some writing, and uh, this was pretty sobering. But he wrote on this subject, and I'll just tell you what he wrote. He wrote, something bothers me when people discuss the subject of Christians and their work. You see, I frequently hear about Christians who are poor workers. Some employers have even told me that they prefer not to hire Christians. I've actually heard the same thing. That's quite an indictment. As I probe for reasons, I hear the following. Attitude. Christian employees, they're often negative, critical, presumptuous, resistant to change, and they tend to take advantage of Christian bosses, which is, that's just so shocking because 1 Timothy 6.2 says that if you've got a Christian boss, that what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to serve that individual all the more. He goes on to write, There's another big issue, competence. Here's a guy who said, the last few I've hired, speaking of Christians, they were incompetent. They couldn't do the job. He goes on to write, focus. There's another problem. They're preoccupied with other things, including witnessing and other church activities and relationships unrelated to the workplace and character. 
one uh, guy reported back to Swindoll. The last one, speaking of Christian I hired, he was just plain dishonest. Now, hopefully these represent only a small minority of workers, of those who identify themselves as followers of Christ. But friends, this should not be. We should live differently because fundamentally we are different. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are a new creature. We are a new creation in Christ. we got a new perspective, a new orientation. We go about our jobs differently. You may have, before knowing Christ, you may have been all of those things. It is not to be if we're following Christ. In fact, he gives us his spirit to actually change us and transform us. You see, your work is not an obstacle to your growth. It is an opportunity for your growth. We need to think about this differently. And you have been gifted by the Spirit to actually be empowered to fulfill righteousness in your job, to do work in a way that glorifies God. Because what does Colossians 3 tell us? You're doing your work for who? You're doing your work for the Lord. You serve him. He intends to magnify and glorify himself through your job and how you do your job. And so you need to know that people are watching you. If you are a known Christian, now I know that some try to do the incognito Christian, like people are shocked to find out, like they go to, they go to Fellowship Bible Church? Really? I didn't even know they were a Christian. Really? That's not true probably for most of you. But you need to know this, that people are watching you. They want to know, are you the real deal or are you a fake? Are you a hypocrite or are you delusional? Because Christians get a bad rap in the workplace, oftentimes because they're not representing Christ well. They've never taken seriously what the Lord has given us a charge to do. And so I know that a lot of you, your jobs are less than ideal, right? I mean, is that true? Some of you have some very difficult jobs. In fact, there was a guy by the name of Johnny Paycheck. He was a one-hit wonder. 1977, he, re- he, he didn't write the song. He just sang it. And he didn't even sing it very good, but it was Take This Job and... Yes, shove it. Yes, you know it, right? That was his song. And, you're, and it's not even good music. I mean, the music people in our, you're like, it's just terrible stuff. It's one of the reasons I'd never listen to country music, some people say that, you know. But you know why it became number one? Because so many people resonate with this. I hate my job. It's destroying me. It hates, I just hate everything about it. And I know that it, there's difficulty. You, some of you are treated unfairly. Some of you have bosses that are just, oh, they're unruly and overwhelming. Customers take it out on you. I mean, I don't know why that people have the right, like, oh, you're, you're doing your job? I think I'll yell at you. you know, I mean, I, people do that. And it's hard and it's difficult. And you're, you got difficult people, difficulties, disappointments, discouragement. Top that all off. You may not even be paid very well. And what happens is you can become very cynical very fast. You can join into the banter of ripping the situation and ripping your boss and ripping the people and developing patterns of watching ESPN live and catching up on basketball scores when you're supposed to be doing work. But friends, it shouldn't be that way. God is seeking to transform you in the midst of the difficulties. You don't want to get embittered. And it's real easy to do when you have a job. And God provides jobs in the midst of a broken world, and you're serving broken and hurting people. In the message, Eugene Peterson, he kind of paraphrases the Bible, so don't think it's a good word-for-word translation. It's not, but it does kind of make you think. 
And in James, he, when he, in his, on James, he takes the apostles' words, he kind of paraphrases them this way. Does this sound familiar? Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. That's like a paraphrase of James 1, 2. Does that sound like your job? Just everywhere you turn, there's challenges. He continues, you know that under pressure, your faith is, your faith life is forced into the open and it shows its true colors. Ooh, is that, is that hard? Isn't that right? So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. You see, you and I, we're all about our own self-fulfillment. But do you know what God's after? Your spiritual formation. And you do not need to have the ideal job for spiritual formation. God is after your sanctification. He wants holiness. He is developing you and making you like Christ. In your job, whether you're a policeman or you're a pharmacy rep, you're a surgeon or you're a school teacher or you're a student, he is seeking to make you like Christ. And so every job has the good, the bad, and the ugly. Does anybody have the perfect job? Because I'd like to meet you. Does anybody have one? Please, just, I mean, really, we'd all like, come on. If, okay, you got the perfect job. Jim Henderson. There you go. Everybody check with Jim afterwards, okay? But guess what? Most of us don't, and there are challenges. And, I'll, and I have a feeling that the reason Jim thinks he's got the perfect job is because he's going about it with a mature mindset. Friends, we've got to learn something called contentment. First Timothy 6.6 6 says, But godliness is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Whoa. Godliness is gainful, but you've got to be content. And contentment is is something you have to learn. Paul said, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, not that I speak from what, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. You don't just wake up one morning like, huh, I'm just pleasantly content. Look at that. God just did this miracle, amazing work. Contentment is learned, and it is learned in the crucible of life, oftentimes our jobs. And so what God is trying to do is he's trying to bring about maturity. Remember that maturity tree we keep talking about there? It all gets started when you, first of all, place your trust and faith in Christ. That fundamentally makes you different. And so now what you do is the roots start drawing from knowing God and his word. You start growing and fueling this fellowship, this relationship that you have with Christ. And your character begins to change. How you think, what you believe, emotional control, discernment, wisdom. Your character, both in conduct and your convictions, change And it changes you in two primary areas, your relationships, spouse, kids, neighbors, coworkers, people at the church, people in the grocery store, and your ministry slash career, because that's what your vocation is. It is a big part of your ministry, but it all gets changed. And see, your relationships and your career, your vocation, they put stress on the tree. They got demands. They need a strength that is far more than you can provide on your own. And so you go back to the roots of drawing strength from Christ, from his word, from his spirit, and you mature. And God uses your work to bring about maturity in your life. That's what's taking place in your life. And you are maturing to the degree that the tree is healthy, where you're drawing strength from the roots, your character is being shaped, transformed, 
And it's showing up in your relationships and your ministry slash career. So how does Christ develop us? How does he change us? How does he transform us? He changes our orientation to work. He changes our direction going into work. We actually really like to know, how have you wired me, Lord? What do you want me to do? And he changes us through our sanctification through our work. But let me give you one other. He changes us and develops us through our mission in our work. You see, not only are you providing for yourself, not only is God setting you apart and shaping and molding you, but you know what? There's some other things that are taking place in your work. You are building bridges for the gospel. This is how the early church spread, that people came to know Christ and they represented him well in their families and in their jobs. That's how people heard the gospel. That's how they saw the gospel in action. They saw Christians at work and they worked and they lived differently. And if you are winsome in your work because of your relationship with Christ, you got hope, joy, you're demonstrating the fruit of the spirit at work. Let me assure you, people are noticing. They're like, what is it that is different about you? If you ever get asked that question, that is the ultimate question a Christian could be asked. If you could be asked on the job, how in the world are you the way you are? You need to know that Jesus Christ is on full view coming through your life. And so it's kind of like this, guys and gals. You know how some of you are into wearing like perfume or cologne? You know how you spray that on, right? And then... You smell it, right? But then after a while, you know, you, you get used to it, right? But you walk in to your workplace and everybody, ah, you're smelling good. Now, if some of you are not like, what is he talking about? And you just kind of do the all natural, you know, you're not even wearing deodorant. You know, that's another conversation for another day. But let me assure you, you're making impressions, but they're the wrong ones, okay? But you, your attitude is kind of like that cologne or that perfume you're wearing. You get some love, joy, peace, kindness, even to the really prickly, difficult, extra grace needed people that are in your jobs, right? You face them, right? You sit next to them. They're in the cubicle right by you. They're maybe some of the students that you're teaching. Your attitude sends a great signal to who you serve. I read the story of, uh, about Alexander the Great, and one of his soldiers was... The guy was just, he had some issues. He spent the, this particular soldier had spent the whole night drinking and, you know, I mean, hard night of partying, is totally disheveled, made a scene. And he appeared before Alexander the Great. And he, Alexander asked him, Soldier, what's your name? And he goes, uh, Alexander. And, he, and Alexander the Great glared back at him and he said, You either change your name or change your behavior. Because, you see, my name's Alexander. And you're doing the name a disservice. So it is when we're a Christian. We represent Christ. How we go to do about our work says a lot about whom we serve. If you're lazy, you got bring a lot of negative attitudes to the job, that speaks poorly of the Savior. I don't care how justified you think you are to have those kind of attitudes. It speaks poorly of the Savior. On the other hand, when you show up with integrity and joy, you do your work well unto the Lord, that speaks volumes. Chuck Swindoll goes on to write about Christianity in the workplace, and he says this, 
It rests on seven massive pillars. If you've got these, you're representing Christ well, and folks are going to notice. And he says these pillars are integrity, faithfulness, punctuality, competence, attitude, diligence, and enthusiasm. If you do these things, if Christ moving, working through you is being exemplified in these ways, you know what's going to happen? Business is going to improve, and Christianity all of a sudden is going to appear as relevant because it's bringing about these kind of changes. And let me just tell you, as you're building bridges, you want to avoid the us versus them mentality. You know, like, well, she's a Christian and he is, but those three aren't. Obviously, they're the them. You know what? That's not right thinking. You know who the enemy is, don't you? It's Satan. And apart from the grace of God, you would perform and act that exact same way. What we're doing is we're just one beggar telling another beggar where we found bread. You want to reach these people. You want to build bridges. You care. And, and one of the things you can do is you pray for them. And you can at times pray with them. And when, when the non-believer at work is going through a hard time or facing some sort of family tragedy or difficulty, step in. I found when I was in the insurance world, that was oftentimes the window. When disaster hit, doors came open for truth and the gospel. So you want to build bridges and you want to be looking for opportunities to share Christ. But let me also tell you this. Not only do you build bridges for the gospel, but you want to be building into people. Because your work matters, it changes how we see discipleship. Sometimes we think discipleship is like, well, we just got to pass on certain truths about the word into people's lives. And that is extremely important. Don't get me wrong. But if work matters and it matters to the degree that God's word says, when we disciple individuals, when we're involved, we, we are helping people do their jobs better. Whether they are working as a rancher or they're a homemaker or they're a professor or they're a doctor or an accountant, it doesn't matter We need to enter into their world to encourage, find out what's going on, help them make good decisions, pray with them, because discipleship looks at the whole person, not just a particular few beliefs that they might hold. And so what we want to do is we want to multiply multipliers. And the greatest way to do that is for Christians to see that your work matters. Let me tell you something else. Not only building bridges for the gospel and we're building people up, but we are building lives in our community. We love one another. We love others through our work. I mean, when you do your job well, people benefit. People benefit in your company. People benefit in our community. People might benefit in our state, nation, even the world. You actually can love your neighbor by doing your job well. And so that's what you want to do. Whether you're an engineer and you're navigating flights across the country, or you're a deputy called to serve and protect, or you're a construction worker, you're building homes, it is an opportunity for you to love others by doing your work well. Think about your work like God sees it. And by the way, this is even changes how you and I do missions. We want the gospel to go out. But your work matters, and so do the folks in India and in Germany and any place else in the world. And hence, when we do missions, we want to share the life and the love of Christ and proclaim the gospel. We also want them to see that their work matters and they're created in the image of God. We're going to send doctors and nurses and dentists and people that are good with 
English as a second language and folks that can understand third world countries and help them to do their job better. That is why we do missions the way we do here at Fellowship or help dig wells so people have fresh water because we're presenting the fullness of the gospel. The necessity of knowing Christ as Savior and the importance of, of all of life and doing your job well. And then finally, friends, we also, in our mission at work, we're building up the glory of Christ. We are advancing God's kingdom, and oftentimes it happens through work. If you've ever read your Bible, you come across people like Joseph and Boaz, Daniel, Nehemiah, Esther, Prisca, Aquila, Onesiphorus, uh, Lydia, all these folks. They weren't pastors. They weren't missionaries, were they? No. You know what they were? They were Christian ministers in their vocation. And God used them to advance the cause of his kingdom. And oftentimes their jobs were pretty difficult circumstances. I think... I think you would be blown away if you just saw how God is working just in the people in our church. I mean, if we could just take a tour and we would see people that are working with children or special needs kids, construction workers. We're seeing people that are mechanics. We have folks that do signing. We have police officers, firemen. We have folks that are doctors, surgeons, we got pharmacy reps, we have engineers, we have accountants, we have people in all different walks. we got professors, we have homemakers. And you know what's happening? When you see that your work matters, you are glorifying God as you go about your work. And so what you want to do is you want to live out your place in his purpose. If you are trusting Christ as your Savior and Lord, you're in the ministry. You just may not know it. You want to do this. You simply want to bloom where you're planted. See, God's kingdom is advanced through his people who actually believe and take him at his word. Does your work really matter to God? The answer, absolutely. You have a contribution to make. God seeks to do his work in you and through you, especially in your work, whether you're paid for it or not. So let me just tell you that maturity in Christ matters. What we're doing in these last two weeks is we're helping you go deep in a significant area of your life. And let me give you two questions that I find to be so very helpful. Lord, what does maturity in Christ look like in this relationship or situation? I have to ask myself that because then I I see that there's a different way of living or doing this or handling this than I'm presently thinking about or actually doing. And then second, Lord, would you give me the grace, desire, and strength to live that way? See, what we want to do is we want to keep Christ at the center of your work, and your work will become worship. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for just an amazing subject that you have spoken so thoroughly in your word, and yet oftentimes we've missed, maybe even completely God, I would pray that you would help us to see our work completely different. Because we're trusting your son for salvation, life, and eternity. Lord, would we see that you have saved us from great peril to accomplish a great purpose. Much of that through our vocation. So would we represent you well? Would we make the most of the opportunities? Would we glorify you, God? Only you can do this. So where we've sinned, we confess it. And Lord, we need your strength 
to serve you well, to do so in the joy of knowing Jesus. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.